0: I get a little concerned because, sure, we have technology that can allow us to mix and match a number of different items to create these these custom bundles or custom kits. But what we're losing here is all the content necessary to make it inbound marketing really effective.
1: Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing.
2: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. The B2B companies have needs for e-commerce functionality such as catalog management, saving of cards and complex product variants. But do catalog management needs vary even among b2b companies while there are solutions that can promise catalog management there are very few solutions in the market that have gone as far as decoupling these three completely this is where elastic path lives to its name in providing true elasticity to headless experiences but how does it compare with other headless platforms such as commerce tools and spryker in today's episode we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss elastic path capabilities. We discussed its unique product and data model that allows it to create fluid catalog and pricing bundles for the enterprises with complex channels and product offerings. Finally, we discussed the pros and cons of their architecture and compared it with other e-commerce platforms in the market. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one technology or the solution from the e-commerce world, and we review that ind- independently. For today, we are going to be talking about one of the other exciting headless vendor, which is the Elastic Path. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. Before we do that, let's uh, uh, finish off our intros. I'm going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I'm Sam Gupta, Principal Consultant at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP commerce digital uh, transformation consulting firm. On that note, I am
0: going to move to
2: Robert for his intro.
0: Hi, I'm Robert Brown. I've been in e-commerce for 20 years. I um, help companies with their strategy and execution to improve their bottom line. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being
2: here, Robert. And uh, if you're in the audience and joining for the first time, if you guys have any questions or comments, uh, post them into the comment box. Uh, we typically try to cover them towards the tail end of the show. If you're out of time, we'll make sure that you receive your answers. Uh, On that note, Robert, I'm actually going to give you a quick rundown of where Elastic Path fits in the value chain, you know, where they are in their journey. Um, And then uh, I can, uh, you know, if you have any sort of commentary there from your research, we can discuss that. And then finally, we'll go through these slides. Um, So overall, from the Elastic Path perspective, they are slightly more modern headless vendor, my perception of their positioning is going to be they compete head to head with vendors such as your commerce tools. Um, Now, when we reviewed commerce tools, my understanding of their offering, they were trying to position them as more of the best of breed, the way they are positioning in the market. Mm -hmm. But then they ended up acquiring the CMS as well. I believe the name is Frontastic. So they ended up acquiring that. So obviously now they are trying to figure out that, you know what, best of breed could be way too much just because you are going to have too many solutions. Um, So maybe it's better that we sort of take the middle ground that some of the other vendors were taking to begin with. And I believe Elastic Path is sort of in between as well. So when I look at the, the Commerce Tools functionality, okay, the way they come across and the way, in fact, Spryker. Spryker is even more technical in my mind. Um, the way they talk, the way their marketing positioning is. Commerce Tools is also a very technical solution in general, the way they approach their marketing I did not see a ton of functionality, to be honest, overall from the B2B feature perspective. And if you have to build all of those B2B features, then obviously you are looking for a lot more heavier lift. When you are going to be comparing B2B features of, for example, any of the head platform, they typically have far deeper functionality that are going to be built as part of the data model. Now, some people might argue that, you know what, I want to go full-blown custom. I don't want to be limited because of the ad, and that's the reason why I am exploring these platforms. Now, when you look at the Elastic Path, they are sort of in between. They are providing a lot of functionality. So when we are going to be looking at their screens, um, the way their functionality is, it's sort of uh, in the middle. Uh, meaning they are providing a lot of B2B features that you are going to find in solutions such as your SAP Hybris is like the, the top B2B solution in my mind because they have a lot of different features in in, in that solution. Then I believe we found those features in Magento. Magento is very... Well developed overall uh, from the B2B feature perspective, the way their data model is, the way their object model is, that's very friendly to any of the B2B scenarios. So now what Elastic Path has done overall from their data model perspective, I think it seems to be inspired by a lot of different B2B vendors. So one of the best thing that Elastic Path has done is they have decoupled your categories, the product model, as well as pricing. So what that means is you can create unlimited number of catalogs with any sort of permutation combinations that may be a limiting factor with a lot of different um, uh, solutions that we have, especially the ones that are going to have head, even the headless ones. I would think that when you are going to get into the real complexity of unlimited catalogs. In some industries, when you are going to be Fortune 100, 500, when you are going to have, let's say, 20,000, 30,000 suppliers, and then you need to probably manage the catalog for each of their divisions, then it becomes very complex overall, uh, the way the, the whole process works. The other things that I have noticed overall from the elastic perspective, they are also very good at the way they are approaching their data model from the variant perspective, which has far deeper depth than any of the other platforms that we have seen. Overall, I think they seem to have roughly, what, 200 customers? And that's my understanding of commerce tools at this point of time, because these guys are playing in the enterprise market. So each of them are probably going to have 200, 300 customers, even though their valuation is billions and billions of dollars. So I will pause there. Robert, do you have any commentary?
0: Yeah. So. I think this is really the important time for companies to really understand, and I say this every week, and I I think it's just as important now. You really have to understand what your differentiating factor is and understand really what you're trying to achieve before you start going and looking for a tool. I have seen, unfortunately, a number of organizations just say, get me the best in breed without understanding really what you're trying to achieve. And it's you know, given the number of players, it's really difficult to say. Give me the best in breed. The best in breed for what, right? So if we if we look at what Elastic Path has in terms of customers, they've got Pella Windows, they've got Remarkable, yeah. they've got Hobie, which is like sailboats and yeah. and stand up paddle boards. They've got manufacturing, Goodman. Yeah. They've got consumer products. They've got biotech. They've got hospitality. They've got yeah. Carnival. Um, they've got Consumer Reports, Intuit, Jenny Craig. Let's see who else, big names. Yeah, I mean, those are the really, really, really big names. And so that's a a pretty diverse set of customer types that find this platform perfectly acceptable. So does it mean that this is going to be the right fit for every enterprise level um, entity? No, it's not. For example, one of the things that, you know, they use is they are really integrated with Stripe in terms of payments. Yeah. Some of the other platforms are completely open and let you bring whomever you want. Um, You know, of course, because they're headless, you could bring in whomever you wanted. But, you know, that's that's who they've chosen to partner with. So Stripe is making a killing. I think we need to cover them at some point.
2: Yeah. So very interesting. So are you suggesting that, uh, you know, the only payment platform that you can use with Elastic Path is going to be Stripe?
0: No, no, I'm not suggesting that. But what they are saying is that's one of their solutions. That is their payment. The Elastic Path payment solution is Stripe. So if you want to integrate your own, it's not an out of the box solution for them.
2: Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So we are probably going to go over these slides as well. And I don't know if I have any sort of references there of the payment providers, but that was not my understanding. So thank you so much for bringing that. Uh, That's a very interesting point. Robert, anything else? No, that's it. Right now. Amazing. So let's uh, go over the slides here. So overall, from the Elastic Path perspective, they are saying Elastic Path is a headless commerce system allowing Template less e commerce to be integrated as middleware into enterprise ERP system. And, you know, I like the way everybody sort of throws the ERP word there uh, that everybody's sort of trying to integrate with ERP, which is great. Obviously, you need the integration, you need that architectural clarity in terms of what is going to be the scope of your e-commerce versus your ERP? So glad that they have at least uh, you know written that. Uh, mm-hmm. Now they are saying the system is API based and is specifically targeted towards enterprise level organization. Elastic Path is a private company based in Vancouver, Canada. okay. they have been named as the visionary by Cartner, I guess in 2020. Uh, and uh, I think we have already covered this. Uh, some of the clients that I we did not cover when you were talking, Robert, I guess they have Symantec as well, uh, which is very interesting. And my understanding of their offering was they are more into tech, media, telco. Uh, that was my understanding. But I think you had a lot of clients there for manufacturing and the consumer goods as well. Here, when I look at Wikipedia, they are saying Symantec, Chime Incorporation, Virgin Media, LVMH, I'm not sure if I'm familiar with that. Debray, SAS is a. Go ahead, Robert. LVMH is uh, consumer goods. Okay, so they are consumer goods. Okay, Okay. Um, so yeah, so, so seems like, I mean, but overarching picture, if I look at the 10 logos here, you know, half of them or maybe eight of them are really from the tech and media. And that was my understanding of their play because, you know, that's where you need a lot of different cataloging, then you are going to have very complex offerings. That's where your product mix is going to be very complex as well. So, okay. So they are also saying that they are Java e-commerce platform. And, you know, this is also Java-based. So I don't know how people are going to perceive this, whether now this will fall under legacy, because in my mind, I think this is comparable with your, uh, your SAP Hybris, because they can do your headless right now. If you think about it, even as HCL Commerce, backend is still going to be Java, but you can do all of those workflows. In fact, when you are going to be looking at the demo videos of your HCL Commerce at this point of time, they are very similar to what these guys are trying to do from their experience perspective. The only difference that I could see is that, you know, you can create custom fields and the custom attributes on your API which I could not see with ACL. I don't know if that is possible. Sometimes that could be very restricting in some data models, especially if you are using enterprise grade data models, it might not be as easy to create those custom fields. But when I look at the custom fields, overall workflow, to be honest, when you are trying to override the order status, it's probably gonna be very hard in general, even if these guys are offering, you know, custom field (laughs) just for the sake of it. But I think when you are going to be consuming that, it's not going to be as natural in in my mind and the way their screens are laid out, you know, custom field is sort of separate the way custom fields work in any other uh, platform. It's not really sort of inbuilt extension model where you are literally overwriting the whole object. Okay, this was your old order. Now this is your new order. This is going to be a new screen. That's not how the custom field is laid out. So I think, you know, they are fairly even overall in terms of their capabilities, even though these guys are calling themselves as the newer headless platform, but if the underlying language is going to be Java, then (laughs) I don't know. Let me see, you are fairly comparable with Hybris at this point of time or ACL Commerce in my mind. Okay, some more comments here. So I think you have already mentioned these uh, logos, Robert, when you were describing. Uh, And some more commentary here. They are saying solution born natively as headless microservices, which was acquired by Elastic Path in January 2020. So, this one, they are trying to describe this solution only. uh, and he, they are trying to describe the uh, Driscoll held a variety of marketing products. So they, they are talking about the role of the executive here who joined. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so the the Driscoll, I guess, uh, came from Demandware. And Robert, if you remember. I think there was a little bit of split there when um, Demandware was sold to Salesforce. So one of the executive, I, I believe, started the founder, I guess, uh, started New Store, which is the another mobile-centric headless platform that is also very hot. And the other executive, I guess, came here <laughs> with mm-hmm. Elastic Path. So there is a little split there. But I think the, the philosophy, the foundation is probably going to come from the same team. Obviously, Demandware was one of the most exciting platform out there. Here, they are trying to display some of the things that I found very exciting here that I could not see in any other platform personally is they are saying create dynamic bundles, thousands of variations and custom product configurator. I think that's very unique. Even the the most capabilities that I could found personally uh, when it comes to your dynamic bundling or the cataloging, I think Adobe, uh, Adobe Commerce or the Magento uh, seems to have the most comprehensive capability. Overall, when it comes to creating these catalogs, uh, assigning it to appropriate roles, having that hierarchy, having the organizational hierarchy, setting the pricing uh, as per the workflow. Here, I think you are going to have a little flexibility overall in terms of the pricing, because your object model is not necessarily tight. Uh, It's very fluid. That's their claim as well. Um, So I think you are gonna get some experience there. Robert, go ahead.
0: So whenever I hear somebody in the world of PIM and DAM start talking about creating dynamic configurations, I get a little concerned because sure, the you know we have technology that can allow us to mix and match a number of different items to create these these custom bundles or custom kits but what we're losing here when we do that is all the content necessary to make it inbound marketing really effective if you follow me right so okay i can i can say you know Looks like John is really interested in this bundle. We're going to go take, we know that product A and product M seem to be his interest. We will pull them together and offer him this possibly just unique price. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's a one off specifically for that customer. It's not necessarily publishing for the general public consumption yeah. this new AM configuration, nor is it adjusting the content to specifically talk about why this combination of these two is interesting and unique and a customer should potentially consider it. Does that make sense?
2: It it does. Honestly speaking, I think there are some layers to it. So when you talk about the dynamic functionality or the programmable uh, PIM and DEM functionality, there are going to be some other advantages as well. It's not just the custom bundle. So custom bundle, I can see your point where you are going with that. Uh, you know, you are sort of, you know, trying to challenge the value of one-off scenario where you are selling this bundle, then you are probably going to have control issues from the finance perspective as well. Uh, Sure, there could be some value, but I mean, you are probably getting into the whole configurator scenario. Why are you not solving this problem by having some sort of, you know, configurable bundle as opposed to doing it in this way where you are creating the unique bundle for a customer, but I guess, you know, there are other layers as well. So in case of configurator, you are sort of assuming that the customer is already there with you who is trying to interact with the product. But in this particular case, when you look at the the custom product configurator, when you are sort of trying to pull it off, I think you are trying to map with the whole customer journey as well. It's not just the, 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 the place where you are sort of shopping. That's one point, but then you have the entire customer journey that has to be mapped. That has to be unique as well based on the custom bundle. I don't know if I'm making sense. So there is a little length there, uh, you know, that marketers are going to be excited about that part because obviously once you have the customer, you can do whatever you want, but they are more interested in, okay, what is happening before that?
0: Right. So it's what, I mean, what I'm saying, because I don't have the details on it. What I'm saying is it could be a little bit of talking about, you know, words du jour yeah go you know so the marketing speak is trying to make it sound better than it really is that could be it but if we could see the detail on how they're doing it and what they're able to achieve and what they aren't that would be really interesting so we could actually compare that because i know that i have seen this poorly done yeah um, and it makes it really difficult to track like Um, inventory, you know, skew velocity when you're dynamically just throwing these together.
2: Completely agree. And, you know, the assumption is going to be that you are probably not going to have a skew. I mean, if you're creating a skew, uh, you know, on the fly, then you are probably going to have a lot of challenges because then you are looking at a million skew. So the assumption is going to be the bundle that you are creating that's not necessarily a skew as such, you know, it's it's still going to be tied to your underlying products. You are simply trying to create a bundle to be able to sell to a customer because that's the kind of, you know, bundle that they are looking for from the configurability perspective. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and you know, I, I'm, I'm, so what I'm saying here is, I'm wondering if it's truly a dynamic bundle or if it's just a sales functionality that allows the customer to create a special on the fly.
2: Yeah, but yeah, I don't think it's going to be a real skew. Otherwise, you are going to run into a lot of challenges, to be honest. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, then we are talking about okay, how are you going to communicate that to your production? Okay, so we are opening a lot of. Of forms there, so my understanding is that it's really a configurator experience. The way configurator experience works, uh, Robert, is okay, you are selecting a bunch of options, but underneath, you don't necessarily create a skew. A skew is going to be a template where you can have millions and millions of combinations, okay? You can choose whatever your combinations are, but as such, you don't create that part. In your e-commerce system or the erp system otherwise then you are going to run into like a million sq who's going to maintain that so that's why you have the configurator experience and that's why i am trying to relate it with the configurator experience the only difference in the configurator experience versus what they are trying to do here is in the configurator as well you have that fixed Uh, you know experience because you still have to predict the (laughs) the uh, the the combinations in this particular case you are not necessarily predicting you're still combining you know based on algorithm i guess right yeah so interesting point thank you so much robert for that so here they are saying you know product merchandising in some industries i can see a lot of value with this and that's why i was thinking that in media telco when you are going to have all of these you know uh, cell phone offers or the mobile offers, that's where the real complexity is, the way consumers pay in, because they are going to be trying a lot of different combinations. Sometimes you are trying to predict, okay, who's going to buy what? So I think they have a lot of complexity as opposed to, let's say, product-based organizations. Uh, in my experience, product-based organizations, they don't really uh, get into, okay, the the sort of the bundling, right? Let me see if I'm buying a coffee mug, uh, you know, it's not that I will be buying coffee mug with another product with it, you know, sure, if I'm g- going to get a discount, I'll, I'll I'll get it. But as such, the bundling does not add as much value as it is going to be when you are going to be looking at industries such as media and telco. And that's why if you look at the, the whole subscription-based model, business model, okay, it's very prevalent in telco and media. Subscription-based model is not as successful in your product centric industries and that's why i was thinking that you know elastic path is more geared towards the media telco tech because that's where they are going to have a lot of different combinations variations the channels are very complex as well in general uh in terms of pricing
0: yeah i i can tell you that you know in in the media it is pretty for, for those of you that have multiple kids at home and you have multiple subscriptions yeah so it's it gets confusing as to which platform have you purchased the, scrip- the subscription to a particular channel through, and yeah. when is it good through, and, and you know, what, which level do you get? Do you get the plane with commercial, or do you get the plane, you know, no commercial, and is it through, you know, Hulu, or is it through Amazon, or is it through, you know, wh- what is the bundle that you're getting? Yeah. And it, it makes uh, the old cable company bundles look like uh, child's play. Exactly, exactly.
2: And maybe you have some insights from your experience of hospitality, as well as insurance. My, In my mind, if you look at the bundling of insurance, oh my goodness, it's a nightmare. It is. <laughs> okay, that is probably the most complex bundling
0: ever, uh, right? It is, it is. So, you know, in the insurance markets, you know, you have to rate the consumer themselves, you have to rate the properties that they have, and then you have to rate, you know, so it's it's the different types of assets that, that you're putting there together. And then, you know, so are, are we only getting their home? Are we getting their home and their autos? And then we're going to bundle those together. How many autos do they have? You know, what's, what's the risk assessment of their family? Yeah. Do we get multiple homes. Do we get a vacation home. Do we have a boat? Do we have a car? Do we have an umbrella policy? It, it gets very complex very quickly. Yeah.
2: Could not agree more. So let's make some more progress here with respect to slides and then we can take some more comments. Um, So here, you know, I like the way product merchandising is covered here. They are saying organize product into unlimited hierarchies and product merchandising is where I think uh, the major play is if you talk to a merchandiser, uh, they just like to have a lot of customizability from everywhere. OK, they want to be extremely creative, whether you talk about fashion, whether you talk about any other merchandising. Uh, you know, those people want to get as much data as possible to see where the product is going to sell, because that's their art. Uh, right, okay. They are trying to design that. So that's where um, I think this product is going to be really handy uh, for them. And they are definitely going to appreciate that fluidness in the data model to be able to create those unlimited hierarchies it says assign multiple price books to products which is also very unique uh, i think you can probably do it in adobe as well but you are probably going to run into scenarios uh, you know where there will be limitations because the data model is very integrated very tight so you know it might not be as fluid because you know your product has price okay it's not that your product and pricing is our Completely separate, and then you can mix and match and do whatever you want, so yes, there is uh, the real advantage, uh, the way these guys have designed their data model.
0: yeah, this data model probably fits Carnival very, very well, yeah, because if you think about the pricing books that um, hospitality has, yeah, there's there is hundreds of prices for a single property. I know or a, say, say a single room. Right. So you've got AARP, AAA, American Express Platinum, American Express Titanium. Um, yeah. Are you a chase? Are you? And, you know, the list goes on and be able to keep track of which price goes with which affinity group. Exactly. Gets gets pretty uh, complicated sometimes. Yeah. And look at the number of
2: channel partners that these companies are going to have. There are going really? to be like millions. I mean, a, a manufacturer is never going to have as many channel partners, to be honest. And then, no. you know, the number of hierarchies that you are going to have because they can keep selling to their partners. <laughs> you know, so, so travel gets very expensive. Insurance gets very expensive in, in my mind.
0: Yeah. One of the ones that I, I liked in here was um, looking at the customers. It was Hobie. So Hobie has... Buy online and pick up nearby within um, nearby in just three months. So they they were able to implement that with this system pretty quickly, and that's pretty nice. Yeah, because if you think about being be able to keep track of the manufacturer's inventory once it's reached the retailer, the retailer has to have a pretty good integration, so you know what that sales channel looks like. So, Hobie has done a really good job to be able to effectively do that. I know that that Louis Vuitton (LVMH) uh, they kind of have a problem with that because when you go to their site and you're looking for, say, Hennessy, right? So, you yep. could actually tentatively you or conceptually, you should be able to look for a specific type of Hennessy. And it should be able to tell you exactly what retailer has it near you. Well, they can tell you who ordered it when it was shipped. But that retailer, because it's a, sometimes a local mom and pop, is not going to be fully integrated. So they don't know whether they've sold out or not. So you could drive over there. And it's like, oh, they don't have it. Bad customer experience.
2: Yeah, could not agree more. And it gets really complex and challenging. It's not easy to implement those business models at all, even though a lot of people talk, hey, I want to go omni-channel. They don't even understand what omni-channel really is, to be honest, and how complex that could get. Overall, when you look at the the every order flow that we are talking about, and it's not just the order placement, you are also talking about returns, replacement, exchanges. And when you are going to be in industries such as, apparel okay so it's not that okay do you have an iphone 6 uh, it's going to be okay do you have this color this style
0: <laughs> uh, it, it gets really complex yeah i preach absolutely preach it's it's my big soapbox is people appropriating the term omni-channel when in fact they yeah. mean multi-channel
2: exactly Exactly. All right. So let's do uh, some more comments here. So here it says, compose uh, hierarchies and price books into catalogs without limits. Uh, Assign rules to catalogs so that they are dynamically surfaced to the right customers. Then they are saying the... And I think we have seen these terms when we were looking at Shopify. That's my recollection that they were talking about product launches, pop-up shops, flash sales... I don't know if Shopify can really pull off the volume. If you're looking at the real enterprise-grade workload, uh, I don't know how many platforms can can really pull off that because we are looking at like millions and millions of hits, and that's where the I sort of like the pitch about commerce tools when they talk about this whole microservices driven architecture and decoupling all of your services including your data model so in a way that's helpful when you are looking at that kind of workload because what you can do is when you are going to be decoupling you can individually scale them as you like as opposed to sort of scaling them as one go because that's going to be probably wastage of resources and then it's going to be really expensive hear what you are talking about okay if people are searching a lot more then the only thing you are scaling is your search function you are not scaling your entire e-commerce site so that's where in my mind the composability is very important for these enterprise grade workloads then it says build and merchandise you know thousands of child variants that is also very unique functionality that i have personally not seen anywhere else i don't know i cannot recall if any industries i have personally seen where you are going to require the child variants but i can see the possibility Okay, because the variants. When you get into the complex workflows of these variants, the more fluid your structure is, the easier it is going to be ma- to manage. Because sometimes I have seen like crazy amount of attributes. We are talking about thousands and th- thousands. And if you don't have any sort of hierarchy in that, it becomes very uh, you know unmanageable. It says shop the the look room experiences inventory of one use cases like reeckhammers. Uh, I don't think anybody else has used the term e- re-commerce in their marketing material, uh scale pricing for single variants. Uh, you know, I don't know if anybody is going to use that. Maybe some industries have some use case for that. Uh, and they have also mentioned the merchandising by color and size. This is going to be the most fluid platform if you are going to be probably in the fashion business. So they are saying test out pricing based on geo uh, instead of running a regional promo so again they can go very specific uh which i personally like to be honest and the way the, the promotion data model is. It's very unique. Uh, and then they are saying, create unique pricing per variation or experience, support businesses where each country has their own. By the way, the taxation, okay? So I don't think anybody has really digged into the, the taxation piece. In my mind, even the taxation gets very complex. When you are talking about countries such as Mexico, India, Brazil, Germany, they are going to have very unique layers of taxation you are looking at at least two or three layers of the taxation in fact canada has at least two layers of vat so again your taxation model has to be fluid here they are talking about they can support a lot more countries i think uh, the other e-commerce platform they might fall short overall in their data model for taxation so again these guys have really paid attention to the data model and this is a data-driven data model-driven platform which is what i personally like to see uh, in a platform
0: well and it's here that you know the multi-country multilingual site suddenly you start to really appreciate the variation capability because while you may have one product You're going to have, you know, the product information management system, PIM, is going to have multiple variants of that same product to be able to support all those languages. And the. What the um, representation is expected for those for those local markets, so the way. Um, the Chinese market may expect something. They're going to probably yep. expect more red in the representation as other countries might because red being you know, a, a good color for them.
2: Yeah, I'll make just one comment there. So I think a lot of platforms can do the language piece of the, the product model, but doing the taxes, taxes are always changing. Uh, Okay, Mm -hmm. so you need a lot of fluidity. So what you can support as of today, uh, you know, the regulations may change tomorrow. For example, Mexico transformed their taxes completely overnight so what you could do yesterday now if you have to accommodate this tax model okay so you are going to have a lot of fun there if your data model does not support that fluidity uh language you know it's not going to change i mean you know what people are referring today probably they are probably going to be using the same term in the next 50 years right (laughs) so the taxation i think that that's where the trick is so that's where i guess if you're going to be really global company where you are selling in multiple countries pay attention to taxes.
0: Yep. You know, this This is something that was uh, typically hand-coded for the larger enterprise company. So now having it in a tool that handles it is yeah. uh, a little bit different. Exactly. Exactly. Great points, Robert.
2: So here, uh, you know, some more comments here. Overall, from the layout perspective, the product is going to appear very similar. Whether you are going to be looking at Shopify or Elastic Path, again, you need the technical architects to be able to describe the experience, I mean, the people who understand data model and the software engineering to be able to understand the difference between elastic paths versus Shopify versus big commerce, uh, you know. Uh, but overall, from the UI perspective, all of the uh, platforms are probably going to appear very similar uh, in general. But this is the sort of the the uh, catalog composer experience where they are saying uh, is only completely decoupled architecture where products, hierarchies, and prices are all separate services so they are not only saying that they are separate from data model perspective they are individually deployable which is a big deal overall now i can see a lot of different integration challenges to be honest okay (laughs) but i still like the concept uh you know because you probably need that from the business perspective so i can some see some value but overall from the Uh, if you look at the deployment architecture, I think there could be some challenges overall. How these services are going to be talking to each other when you're going to be scaling, you know, there could be a little fun there. But I do like the composability aspect of this particular um, uh, feature. Okay, Robert, comment? Do you have comment? No, no. Okay, okay, good. So here, this is how the pricing looks uh, overall in terms of the configurability. It's very configurable. Now, how you are going to describe that, uh it could be harder you are looking at many different groups you might see that in many different platforms but again here you are talking about far more layers uh, overall in terms of the la- the kind of layers you might be able to capture uh, when you are going to have uh, you know many different channels and their uh, user groups and they are going to ha- require very different pricing for each of the product for each of the catalog for each of the categories that's where uh, you know the real play is in terms of the 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 amount of customization that you can do here. They have very deep layers of volume and, and sales pricing as well. And typically, you are going to find these features uh, in ERPs. Most ERPs, they have very deep, um, you know, pricing and discounting functionality. So they, what they have done, they have really inspired uh, this from the ERP world. Now, if Phil were here, we would probably argue, okay, who holds pricing, whether it is going to be e-commerce versus your ERP. But when you are looking at creation of catalog, a releasing of catalog, sharing the catalog with your channel partners, uh, you know, it would probably make sense to keep that in your e-commerce because I, I don't think ERP systems are really designed for that that share, shareability uh, of the catalog. So it has to reside inside e-commerce from the architecture perspective. Any comments, Robert?
0: i was just thinking um also i don't the erp isn't designed for the number of transactions at the pace of e-commerce
2: well so that's a very interesting comment so overall from the transaction perspective i think the erp systems are probably going to be able to handle far higher load of transaction because obviously they are designed for massive massive workload right so I don't know where that comment is coming from, uh, you know, because if you look at the, the overall database, right, the database is going to be far superior with your ERP system. For example, let's say if you look at the SAP uh, great solutions, they are probably going to have HANA. None of the e-commerce solutions have, you know, HANA capability at this point of time. So it's really designed for the transactional processing. In fact, the transaction depth is going to be far deeper uh, with the ERP systems overall from the transaction perspective, as well as from the load handling perspective. The challenge that I typically see when you are looking at e-commerce experience versus ERP experience, they are probably going to be moving at a very different pace overall in their operation. So that typically is a problem in general, in the architecture, because you have to decouple those, you can't really have the light connection with your ERP because ERP in general is going to be slower because the the amount of work that ERP has to do is going to be overall far higher in terms of the transactional depth. So, uh, again, uh, I think the ERP systems can handle the volume, to be honest, <laughs> but uh, they are probably not comparable, I guess. I mean, that's how I'm going to put it, Robert.
0: Yeah, and that that was my point. The you know, you you won't have a direct one-to-one from the front end of what let's say, you know, your hospitality front end yeah. directly back to your ERP. There's going to be a decoupling and sharing of information in a not real-time basis because of the shopping that occurs on the e-commerce side versus the completion of the transaction. Yeah, completely agree. Thank you
2: so much for that. So let's give you some more comments here. So here you are talking about the whole catalog experience. Um, You know, so the whole catalog experience, I think this is going to be very, very hard to replicate uh, inside your ERP because, again, they are not really designed for that. Cataloging is a very different process that has to reside inside your e-commerce. So I like the way... Um, you know, the workflow is done here. Now, when you look at the headless experience, it's a very similar demo as you are going to find with HCL Commerce. They had done the the similar workflows that whatever you could do from UI, you can probably do it from API as well. So I kind of like it. Some people don't really understand what you are trying to do here, but here you are wrapping the whole e-commerce layer. Uh, inside your API, whether you talk about them, PIM, these assets are very, uh, you know, heavy overall in terms of their weight. Uh, you know, the the kind of objects that you are going to carry. Now, when you look at systems such as ERP, they are not necessarily designed. For those heavy objects. If you are going to be putting your CAT files inside your ERP, good luck with that. <laughs> okay. So, again, it's a very different data model because the data model is very highly re- relational. It's designed for financial data, it's not really designed for your operational data or marketing data. So marketing data has very different characteristics overall in the way the the data works. So here, this API experience is going to be very different from what you are going to get from your ERP, but you are encapsulating the whole layer inside your web services and that you are calling from multiple channels. Uh, You can call this from POS as well. And that's why the experience such as the one that Robert had mentioned is far easier to implement. The only thing you are worrying about in this experience, it's going to be just your you know UI, which is going to be your HTML CSS. You are not necessarily building the actual functionality inside your presentation layer, uh, which is what makes it faster, easier to be able to deploy, to be able to implement. Any comments, Robert? No. Okay. Here, the promotion is also, I think the, the promotion, the way the promotion uh, has been done in this particular platform, that's also very layered overall. The way the data model is, it's very fluid in general. Personally, I have not seen this kind of fluidity in any other platform so far, the ones that we have reviewed. And the Wait. promo code is, yeah, go ahead, Robert.
0: Could you break that down? What do you mean by you, you haven't seen this fluidity in the other platforms that we've reviewed? Because this looks very similar in terms of some of the other platforms reviewed. It looks kind of standard. So where do you see the differences?
2: so here's my take on this robert and 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 we can debate this uh as well so here let's say if you look at the overall number of layers here right so you are talking about number one multiple currencies as part of your promotion so in the other platform when you are going to look at let's say shopify you are probably going to have the promo you are going to have buy one get one free You might be able to tie that with individual customer, customer up. But then, you know, when you are looking at different currencies, different dollar amounts, uh, you know, and the bundle requirement, as well as you are tying that with your product SKU, the whole permutation and combination, what you can do here is far more compared to what you were able to, you, you would be able to do in the other platform. That's where I am coming with this. I don't know if I'm making sense here, Robert.
0: I don't see the difference because... There's, there's always a way to back in to get the promotions that you're trying to look for. So if you're looking at a promotion, you can have, typically, you yeah. can have a fixed currency amount off. You can have a percentage off. You can have a BOGO. You can have, you know, some number of product and get another product free. And so the that can be irrespective of currency. If you're doing percentages or if you're doing even a fixed amount, then you can just change the the promotion to reflect the current currency. So you wouldn't necessarily use the same promo promo code in Spain that you would in maybe the US.
2: Exactly. Anyway, then you would need to maintain two different promotion codes. So here, you,
0: that, I mean, but that might also be a good thing because then then it makes it easier for you to track where it's actually being used
2: well so i guess you know we need to look at both okay so we need to look at the maintenance as well so let's say if you're creating the same promo for 50 countries then you are looking at maintaining in 50 different countries and that's where the debate of the mint inability of the 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 whole promotion is I guess uh versus you know how whether you want the analytics as part of that so here my understanding is going to be when you are going to be analyzing this this data Along with your promotion code, you can layer in your currency on top of that because you have that as part of your data model, okay? In that, you are probably not going to have that. You are going to have just the currency, but you don't have sort of the multiple currency when you are going to be looking at your XML st- structure. So I guess that's where the data model difference is. Here, you are looking at one-to-m correlation between your promotion and the currency. In the other platform, it's just probably gonna be just one currency. That, that's my take on this, uh, Robert.
0: Yeah, I'd have to play with it, actually play with it in, in uh, a test environment to see yeah. how that worked out and what kind of reporting they came out with to determine how we would actually be able to um, figure that out. Yeah, yeah, completely agree.
2: Okay, um, so I guess uh, any other comments on promotion, Robert, before we move nope. on? Okay, perfect. Um, okay so here this is the functionality that i was talking about overall in overriding these fields and this is my personal challenge with a lot of different e-commerce platforms when you are going to be looking at the workflows of your orders returns sometimes you know you might require a lot of different statuses uh, that is not very easy to manage in general when you are going to be communicating this across the platform so here they are sort of providing the fixed schema that, okay, this is your order. These are the order statuses. But then if you need anything custom, you can probably create the custom field as well, which is not very easy in general in the other e-commerce platform. So here you have far deeper layer, I guess, in terms of customizing that. But when you look at the way they are customizing, it looks strange. I mean, you know, you can create additional fields on your web services, but that's just not part of the same Object, it's very different experience. So that I guess you know we are probably going to be looking at the next screen. So here we are literally looking at exposing the whole, uh, you know, the the field model from the database perspective, where you can specify, okay, this is my newest status uh, on the order, and then you can specify the type. So basically, what they are trying to do is they are trying to expose the whole data model, uh, you know, uh, as part of your configuration from the web services perspective Mm -hmm. now if you look at the most of the erp systems are probably going to support this okay in the e-commerce world it's not very common because here you are not only looking at changing the data model you have to also tie this with your url slug because this is going to be a url (laughs) so it's very interesting the way this is done
0: it's this is the first one I've seen where they allow us to actually modify the slug at, at this level.
2: Exactly. And, and, and it's cool concept, Robert, but I can see a lot of issues. And I don't know if I'm convinced with the value because, uh, you know, if you actually pay attention to the way it is done, if you look at the custom field, the custom field is very similar experience as your ERP. The custom field is going to be somewhere in the side. Uh, you know, it just feels very disjointed. It's well, not part of the theme object.
0: What, so the issue that I see with this is the concept of slug being automatically created. It was supposed to be um, as a way to address size, right? The, the number of products that you have. And so if you're automatically creating a number of different um, bundles and having a, a bunch of other data that goes along with it, you don't have the bandwidth, you don't have the resources to actually go in and start modifying, overriding slugs on the fly, especially when you get up to 10,000, 100,000, a million SKUs. It's just because you got all the data that goes along with it too. It's just, it's an overwhelming task.
2: So I'm not too sure if they have utilized the whole custom field functionality for the product bundles as well. The workflow that they are trying to demonstrate or the use case that 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 they are, trying to demonstrate is related to changing the schema of your object. So what that means is let's say order status has five different statuses and you need seven, eight, 10, you know, depending upon your sales cycle, I guess, right? If you want to modify that, that's typically harder in the other platforms. Here, they are trying to be able to provide that, okay, you can customize any business objects as you like, okay? Mm -hmm. But you are not necessarily extending the business objects the way you would do it in programming languages, okay? So in programming languages, what you can do is, okay, you don't like my order object, that's okay. Okay, you can override it, you can extend it, you know, you can write the way you want, but that's going to be your object. Now my object is gone because you have already overridden it, right? If you want to extend that, you can probably utilize some of the properties from my object as well. So that's very fluid experience in the programming languages. Here, it's not going to be as fluid because your custom fields are completely separate than your main schema uh that you have yep okay so this is where so this is the robert i was talking about the custom field custom field is not really part of the main workflow and i'm not even sure what happens to the existing statuses to be honest okay so existing statuses are also going to be part of your object but then you have the custom field which is sort of trying to say okay this is your status so it's just very disjointed experience in my mind even though the concept is very powerful
0: see this this seems like just part of the setup to me It it doesn't, you know, like, why, why are we modifying the status on the fly? We as an organization, we should determine this as part of the setup. This is how our organization is set up. These are the statuses that we want to be able to track because you need to be able to report on them, too. You need to be able to report on... Um, how many are in status one, two, three or 4? What is the length of time it takes on average for it to get from 1 to 2, 2 to 3, 3 to 4? How yeah. many actually fail? Why do they fail? And so if you're creating a, a new status on the fly, that kind of makes it difficult to start reporting on that and tracking data, doesn't it?
2: Just to be clear, I don't think they are doing it on the fly. It is still part of the setup, but that setup itself is very hard. With the other platforms to be honest when you have to customize let's say the order workflow or it's, it's definitely not on the
0: fly well no because if you look at this the way at least the way it's represented here and the way i'm taking it is okay this is the order on april 5th from andy doing so, i see
2: okay now i see where you are going with this okay so now you are saying okay so this is your order and now you are trying to enter some sort of new status which i, I see where you are going with this
0: yeah i'm like yeah. you know <laughs> okay fine but you know i as a as somebody in management yeah that now creates exceptions yeah i i
2: completely agree i completely i yeah that's that's i i would not do that uh, you know, if I were implementing this for my own company. So, yeah, it's it's slightly strange. Yeah, I completely agree. Thank you so much, Robert, for bringing sure. that. OK, so now the variation. OK, we have seen the variation, but I have not seen the child attributes so far, which is could be very powerful. I don't know if any industries are going to require the child attributes, but I can see the application. Um, so this is very powerful. That is something I have not seen with any other platforms. Any comments, Robert? I'm I'm digesting it. No comments yet. Okay. If you think about something, we can discuss that yep. on the next slide as well. Here, this is very similar uh, cart functionality that I could not see in some of the technical platforms. I think a Spryker had it. Spryker had far deeper B2B functionality. Commerce tool came across as very technical tool. It was primarily geared towards B2C verticals. That's my understanding of that platform. Here, we are talking about very thick b2b functionality and the cart workflow is very common in the b2b space we have seen this in in the case of sap hybris hcl commerce is more designed towards b2c so you are not going to see all of this then uh, you had this in Spryker, vtex again my mind says that's probably b2c because i could not see this magento b2b uh, you are going to see this in Magento as well. This is very, very, very similar look and feel of your SAP Hybris. It's it's exact same, and this is how uh, you know your Spryker has done it as well. So you know all of them are being very consistent overall from the user experience perspective. Uh, this is also the user workflow of B2B. This is also very similar experience as your SAP Hybris Spryker. Uh,
0: some comments. So. Go ahead, Robert. You know, it's it's fine that, you know, you, you've got the cart functionality and you can save a custom name to it, f- um, you know, for a customer, a B2B customer who's going to order a number of parts from you and, and have them delivered. Um, you know, when I look back on the previous examples, you know, a $325,000, you know, order, This this, at least to me is the level of I would like to call my sales rep and see if there's because me being a buyer, the buyer is going to be placing these orders, right? Me being being the buyer, if I'm placing a $300,000 order, this I would automatically start saying, "Hey, can, you know, where are my next price breaks? How much more do I need to order?" You know, I don't see that functionality here telling me what I need to do to get, you know, more discount more favorable terms, whatever the case may be.
2: So my understanding of this workflow is that that may not be coming across from the screens, but I think the customizability of the platform will allow you to configure all of those rules uh, based on the buyer persona, and you are going to see all of those Price breaks. The other point I'm going to make here is going to be that you know the the reason why companies would like to implement this platform or B2B commerce experience is because they don't want salesperson to be part of the sales cycle, uh, you know, because it's going to be easier for the user. Obviously, if they need to call the salesperson, they can always call. But for the most part, they are trying to automate the the customer experience.
0: Right, and they are, and you know, we for months have been talking about how complicated the b2b yeah you know purchase path can be yeah. and i for one would like to see um a flow that actually addresses the pain points and questions i just raised yeah i can really agree so i think that's going to be
2: more of the visualization but you know based yeah. on the data model i think you know these guys should be able to do the path that you are trying to find, it it may not be clear from the slides, but I completely agree with you that that is going to be part of your B2B workflow. If your platform does not allow you to do that, you know, probably that's not the right platform that you should be going for.
0: Right. You know, I I think what's happening here is the businesses, the ones that I have experience with, and, and this is in consumer goods, they do not, they have not had the right digital teams to implement, um, a great UX to prevent calls to the sales staff because they haven't thought about the exception path. All they've thought about is the happy path and that's all they've been able to implement, which is what we're kind of seeing there, right? And so if these tools actually start embracing those exception paths and the difficult challenges, I think they'll have a much better time selling into complicated B2B scenarios.
2: Yeah, completely agree. And that's why I think a lot of people from the community, the people who are influencers in the e commerce space, they do talk about that B2C platforms are not really designed for B2B. B2B is a very different beast and you have to make sure. And by the way, MEC, the other point I'm going to make here is going to be the implementation okay? of B2B is very different. So platform can provide the capability. Sometimes it might be very hard for the users to be able to visualize how it is going to work. So that's where you require a lot of consulting implementation for the B2B workflow, and that's where people like uh, you know Robert could be very helpful. So I guess you know that's where since Robert, if you are not able to relate, think of the the average user. You know, if they don't have as much experience with data and the configuration, how will they be able to visualize how that is going to be done from the platform?
0: Exactly. And what they're going to do is they're going to call the salesperson.
2: Exactly. 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 That's the point. Yeah. Um, Okay, Robert, any more closing comments? No. Nope. Nope. Okay, amazing. So we can close now. So that's uh, a wrap, guys. Uh, and again, if you're looking for this platform, it's a very customizable enterprise-grade platform. If you are SMB, I'm not too sure why you would buy this. But, you know, this is really designed for the powerful Uh, B2B centric enterprises, especially in my mind, media and telco, that's where, uh, you know, you are probably going to be requiring a lot more customizability. On that note, that's it for today. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our e-commerce series for which we meet each Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. On that note, thanks everyone for tuning in. Thanks all. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully, you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Robert Brown, head over to rgbecomments.com. It's com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Jay Schneider, who shares his insights into how B2B digital commerce processes differ from B2C. Also, the interview with Noemi Kes, who shares her insights into how the water industry works and how its sales cycle differs from other industries. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS
1: Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.